If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. If you're really a clever one and you know what it is to see, then you can make friends with a special one, a friend of you and me. His name is Mr. Babadook, and this is his book. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. Ba-ba-duke, duke, duke. That's when you'll know that he's around. You'll see him if you look. This is what he wears on top. He's funny, don't you think? See him in your room at night, and you won't sleep a wink. I'll soon take off my funny disguise. Take heed of what you've read. Once you see what's underneath, you're going to wish you were dead. and ghouls i'm katie tool and i'm sean Reedy. and this is friday night frights a podcast about grief motherhood and fabulous vaguely victorian boogeymen it is time to get baba shook everybody <laughs> <laughs> i was telling sean that before we did started doing the research for this episode i had forgotten that that phrase was a thing and i laughed for five solid minutes when i read it <laughs> earlier today it was just like bringing back so many great memories <laughs> Of one of the funniest, like, turnarounds of the internet ever. Oh, yeah. I love the internet. Like, (laughs) just this crazy, weird creation of a meme. Yep. Gone so far. In all the great ways. In all the great ways. And now it's just like, now it's just an accepted part of our cultural imagination. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's one of those things like nobody really cares how it started anymore it's just true <laughs> he's just there he's just a part of he's us just that pride every year now he is as stated in the original the original creation of this meme mm-hmm. he is just an australian a gay australian man just trying to live <laughs> terrorizing suburban white and, folks and... <laughs> i believe that was part of it too <laughs> Well, if I'm not mistaken, it was that the white folks won't let him live. Oh, the white won't... folks won't let him live. Okay, yes. right, right, right. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Um. <laughs> so, yes. So, we are, of course, talking about the 2014 uh, Australian film, The Babadook. Yes. Which, uh, definitely, if you haven't seen this yet, because I know, I, I mean, it's, I mean, you said, what, 2014, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's time if you haven't. Oh, Yeah. Like this, definitely, it's it's it can't be called a new film anymore. No, I don't think. No, no, it's seven years old now. Yeah. So, I uh, also didn't realize that this was actually the debut for this filmmaker. Yes. I yeah. mean, feature feature right, feature film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, debut, which is it's it's pretty impressive mm-hmm. for. Uh, written and directed by Jennifer Kent. Mm-hmm. Who also, side note, mm-hmm. is the first like solo female director we've talked about. You're right. Because mm-hmm. the only other one I am blanking on right now. But I know that it was directed oh, by two people. For um, and it, The Lodge? 
Yes. Yep. One of the directors of the lodge. Yes. I'd have to look up their names, but one of the directors for the lodge was a woman. <laughs> like go back in your notes and see. Like, let me just there. let me just flip back real quick because I have it right here. Um. Oh yeah, Veronica Frank. Franz. Oop, sorry, Veronica. Veronica Frank. <laughs> she's a Frank. 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 Veronica Franz. <laughs> yeah, she's the only other one that we've talked about that. Yeah, there, is there's a female director. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's not enough space made for female filmmakers in horror, for sure. Not well, at I mean, all. in general. I mean, yeah. But especially in horror. Let's just talk about female space in general. <laughs> in the world. <laughs> you but, can't even have pockets. Come on. <laughs> I know. We can't even have that little bit of space. <laughs> like one of the two I'm actually wearing today, one of the like only pairs of pants that aren't jeans that I own that have pockets. Uh, I'm like on a quest to find more dress pants that have pockets. It's really just silly. It's so silly. <laughs> Uh, the film stars Essie Davis, mm-hmm. uh, Noah Wiseman, Haley Mechelini, I'm going to say. Could be wrong. Daniel Henshaw, Barbara West, and Ben Winspear. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty small cast. It's really very focused on the mother and the child. Uh, it was released initially at Sundance in 2014. Uh, mm-hmm. Was a general... I- Critical and commercial success. Like, yeah. Uh, I think they said the budget was... Hold on, I got it right here. It's only made for $2 million And it grossed 10.3. Yeah. So, like, $10.3 million isn't a ton of money to gross, but, like... In comparison to the $2 million they budget? Prof- right. I mean, it was very profitable. Yeah. So, like... Um, and, you know... <laughs> launch this whole like cultural phenomenon um well and it's it's funny because like when the movie first came out like the movie itself was kind of like its own phenomenon like within the horror community i remember them releasing it and it was one of those like almost paranormal activity type of like mm-hmm. like um media blitzes sort- yeah, yeah like, like- it's the scariest movie ever made. Yes. You're going to have to sign a waiver in the oh, theater. All that, like, you know, Hammer Films stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, I, it is a creepy movie. No, it's very... And, like, the monster is terrifying. Yes. Like, I actually think... I think that what has happened since... Has diminished his power a little bit. Yes. Right? Just because he's sort of, like, you know, a joke now. Right. Um, but you know, this is, is, this is, this is a pretty scary movie and it's, Mm -hmm. it's got a lot of great sort of classic haunted house slash demonic possession type Mm -hmm. tropes in it. Right. Like it's good. And it's, it's funny. Okay. I, I want your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. Does the house give you a slightly almost tim burton-esque feel i was just thinking that (laughs) yes because it's so gray Mm -hmm. but also pretty yeah so yeah the we we will talk about the way that we are talk about the production design and the lighting design oh absolutely because part of the part of the sort of burton-esque feel of it well and even the monster is a little Mm burton-esque right um 
you know, the fact that the world is in color, but the monster's in black and white. Right. Right, like that kind of. Yep. The pop-up book, like the, the, the inclusion of a children's book. Right. That the terror is coming from a children's book. It's very, like, um, Burton does that. Uh, Del Toro does that. Mm-hmm. Type of stuff. Um, but, yeah, in particular, there's just a shot of the staircase with the shadow of the railing behind it. Uh-huh. And every time I see that, I think of Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yep. Like, it looks like mm-hmm. the way that uh, Delia made the house mm-hmm. over in Beetlejuice. Like, that's what... In certain scenes. Right. It's not... It's, it's not, not all the time. Right. But, yeah, there are, there are those moments where it was... I think it was definitely an in- influence on this filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. We are going to read t- way too much into this film. <laughs> but first, it is... Shock tail hour. That was better than last week. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight's shock tail is called the Three Knocks. It consists of two ounces of the stout beer of your choice, um, an ounce of spiced rum, uh, half an ounce of dark cream de cacao, and then. Uh, Top it off with some cola of your choice. Coke, Pepsi, off-brand. Fago. Fago. Your choice. We're not here to judge. Northwoods, if you want to get. <laughs> if you want to get something that no one has heard of, who doesn't live in. Really, even just Northern Michigan, who doesn't visit Northern Michigan. I was gonna say I'm like I don't even. Know right. That one. <laughs> Very specific. So the Babadook focuses on uh, an Australian widowed mother named Amelia and her son, Samuel. Uh, Amelia's husband died in a car accident while he was driving her to the hospital when she was in labor. Mm-hmm. Which, Jesus. Which would be just incredibly traumatic. Yeah. Because, like, you're in labor... It's a terrifying experience anyway. Right. To just like be in labor. I'm sure. I mean, I'd say this as if I've done it before. Um. <laughs> I've tried. It just doesn't work. <laughs> I love you so much. Um. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> but it's true. Broke my brain. <laughs> So, yes, so being in labor is terrifying, (laughs) we're assuming. Right. Uh, If you have any insight on this, scream at us. We could just ask our mothers. And A, B, you've lost your husband and you're suddenly a single mother. Right. Like, at the very beginning of your motherhood. Mm -hmm. C, like, if the crash was serious enough to kill her husband, she was probably also injured. Oh, I'm sure. So, like, she had to give birth while injured uh-huh. like it was traumatizing in every way it can be traumatizing right. and like 
when you when we first start off the movie like you you get an idea like obviously he died in the car crash but then like later in the film you kind of see exactly what happened in front of her face mm-hmm. that makes it a hundred times worse because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he was partially decapitated yeah i don't know who i want to announce that now we can talk about it later but <laughs> spoiler spoiler alert um movie's seven years old but get on board get it um Yes. So, Amelia is deeply tra- traumatized, extremely depressed, mm-hmm. and refuses to address these issues. Right. Like, every time someone, especially her son, brings up her late husband, mm-hmm. she shuts that conversation down immediately. A hundred percent. She keeps... She has kept everything that he owned, but she keeps it locked in the basement. Mm-hmm. And punishes her son when she finds out that he's been sneaking down to the basement to look to play but also to like look through his father's things and right there's this moment in the film where the little boy is angry and he screams she won't let me have a party and she won't let me have a dad yep and that's like heartbreaking Mm -hmm. because it's it's not so much that it's not that the father's dead like that's nobody's fault. Well, except the person who hit the right. car, right? But it's that she won't let him even have the idea of his father. Right. She has shut it away. Quite mm-hmm. literally. Yeah. Has she, shut it away. He cannot access any of those memories. Any of, like, she, she doesn't want him to know what he looks like, basically, is mm-hmm. what it seems like. Right. Well, and because he looks just like him. Right. Like, it was excellent casting. Oh, yeah. In terms of how much this child looks like that man. Also, in terms of how awful this child can be. How awful he can be. Yeah, I mean, the kid's a great actor. Holy shit. The kid's a great actor. <laughs> and also, just like... And, and part of this is the lighting, and part of this is, is makeup, right? Mm-hmm. Because as the movie goes on, like, his cheeks get more and more sunken and that has to be makeup because they weren't actually starving the child right and, but like he just he's so good at looking terrifying mm-hmm. like you really do feel throughout the first sort of portion of the film that the evil's coming from him yes right and that's the way that that's the way you're supposed to perceive it because that's how she sees it Right. She thinks that he is creating this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and she just like, she just associates all of this pain with him. Right. Um, So like, she refuses to celebrate his birthday on his birthday, Mm -hmm. which like, fuck up a kid 101. Right. (laughs) Like, like, come on. Like, I get, I get it. I mean, I get it. But also. Come on. Come on. Right. Which, you know, is pretty much the, could be the tagline of the movie. (laughs) Um, i get it but come on (laughs) (laughs) um so sam is acting out you could also like i think you can also look at this as uh a comment on parents who cope very poorly with neurodivergent children yep right um because it's it's easy to read sam as severely uh adhd or Mm -hmm. uh on the spectrum right and she just can't deal with it right right Mm -hmm. like she just can't i mean until the end she can't like right 
nurture him in a way that he's going to thrive. Right, exactly. Um, But he's obsessed with monsters. He's obsessed with the idea that monsters are coming to get them. Mm-hmm. And he's building weapons, which is like, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Oh, a yeah. six-year-old should not be able to make a catapult. Like, that's not no. some, that's not something a normal six-year-old does just by himself. Right. Right? Like, and, and when I say normal, I mean, like, of average intelligence. Right? Like, right. yeah. Like, he's, he's clearly brilliant mm-hmm. and insightful and very troubled. Yes. So he makes all these weapons and he takes one to school, um, which doesn't go well. <laughs> no. As it never does. Uh, and he gets... So they actually... He's not actually expelled. No. Which I didn't remember. Mm-hmm. I thought they expelled him, but they didn't. They were just like, we're going to sort of like put him in a special program. And she, again, refusing to accept that there's anything actually wrong. Right. Decides to pull him from the school mm-hmm. instead of putting him in this program. Not to say that this program would have helped him at all. But right. just like it may have, it may have done worse. But it it may have done I, worse or not. But like I, I think that the point is, is that she is refusing to find solutions. Right. She's mm-hmm. just letting everything drag on. Um. So, she has a sister, and the sister has. A child around the same age mm-hmm. um, as Sam named Ruby. And they have always had a joint birthday party for the two of them on Ruby's birthday. Right. Because she refuses to celebrate the actual mm-hmm. day of Sam's birth. So, but now, you know, they're six years old. They're turning seven. Ruby's like, I don't want a joint birthday party. I want my own birthday party. It's my birthday. And like, I want a princess theme. And when it's, I'm sharing my birthday with a boy, we can't do a princess theme. Right. Um, and so, you know, Claire tell, Claire, who is the sister's name, tells Amelia that they can't do the joint birthday party. Mm-hmm. So around the time that all of this is happening... Sam finds a book in the house. Mm-hmm. And Amelia has no idea where the book comes from, but decides to read it anyway. Choices. I We're mean, not... Read the book first. I mean... ever watched a movie? Did you look at even the cover? Like, it doesn't look like a friendly book. Right. Like, watch uh, Evil Dead. <laughs> watch <laughs> The Mummy. Watch, like, what harm ever came from reading a book? Like, don't read things out loud if you don't know what they are. Um. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, and the the book ends up being exactly the wrong thing that a troubled child who's obsessed that, with monsters coming to get him should be read. Yes, because it's talking about a monster attack. That's coming him. to get him. Right. Um. So you know, she reads the book. He has a panic attack. She hides the book, and now, and and the book is about the Babadook. Right. That's the name of the monster. Mm Mm-hmm. And now, he's obsessed with the idea of not just monsters, but this monster specifically. Which is why he takes the weapon to school, um, and 
begins to talk about the Babadook constantly to everybody. Mm-hmm. Scares his cousin Ruby. Uh, her sister gets mad. Uh, you know, so she won't, she refuses to babysit him anymore. And of course, Amelia is like already overworked between her job and Samuel. Right. I mean, yes. Like just having to take care of him normally. And now she has to figure out some something else to do with him. During the day. Right. Until she finds another school for him. Mm-hmm. So eventually we get to Ruby's birthday party. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, is, you know, for the first time, not Ruby and Sam's birthday party, but just Ruby's. Mm-hmm. And Ruby says something. I mean, she's a child. Right. She's just a child. but And, mm-hmm. like, she's clearly getting these ideas from her mother. Oh, absolutely. Who is like, the sister Claire is like a little bit snobby and Mm -hmm. very like understandably frustrated Mm -hmm. with her sister's refusal to deal with the various issues going on in her life. Like I understand that, Mm -hmm. um, but she's very judgy. (laughs) Very much so. Very judgy. Yeah. And clearly passing that attitude on to her daughter, who tells Sam that his father died so that he couldn't... Her, His father died rather than be with him. Like, by choice. Right. Which is just an incredibly cruel thing to say. And again, it's just a child, but... So Sam gets mad and pushes her out of the treehouse and she breaks her nose. Yep. Um, at which point... He's in very big trouble. Again, uh-huh. understandably. Like, no matter what she said, he shouldn't have broken her nose. <laughs> but, you know, violence is not the answer. So on the way home from the birthday party is is arguably the most famous scene in the movie that does not contain the Babadook. Where oh yeah, uh, he's having a screaming tantrum mm-hmm. in the back seat. And she pulls the car over and screams, why can't you just be normal? <laughs> to which he screams. And then he starts having a seizure. Yes. Um, so she takes him to a doctor. Right. And again, this is like all of the tropes of like the troubled child who can see the um, who can see the monster or the ghost or the demon or the whatever before mm-hmm. everyone else can. And they always take him to a doctor. And the doctor always can't find anything wrong with him. And so the doctor suggests you take him to a shrink. Right? Yep. Like always. And always medicates them too. Always medicates them. Right? Yep. Because you have to have them helpless. Right. Um. But she actually, she asks for the sedatives because neither one of them were sleeping. Right. Yeah. So so, those were not just for him. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. And it works for a day. Yeah. Right? Like she gets mm-hmm. a good night's sleep. He gets a good night's sleep. Like mm-hmm. she wakes up in a much better mood than she has been. Um, but. Sleep doesn't fix your problems. Sleep. Yeah. Just. <laughs> and, and neither do sedatives. No. Nope. So before this too. So. Of course, Samuel finds the book after she has hidden it. And All right. she ends up ripping it up. Has she already ripped it up at this point? Yes. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she she does then um, end up ripping up the book and throwing it away. Mm-hmm. In hopes of, you know, stopping his obsession with it. Which doesn't make any sense because he's already obsessed with it. Right. Like, it doesn't matter if the book's there or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the day after, okay, because this is when this happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a watch along. Well, and, and I really, uh, I appreciated 
the delivery of this. So she wakes up and everything and checks on Samuel and he's fine. He's and sleeping it's like, still. Yes. It's like, it's like she perfect. feels great. He's mm-hmm. still asleep. Like she's she's feeling really good about her life. And then there's three taps on the door. Mm-hmm. Just three normal knocks. She opens the door and no one's there. Mm-hmm. And then there's three loud pounds mm-hmm. on the door. And the book's there again. The book is there again, which is also like, it's always a great device when Mm -hmm. like, I know you've never seen the changeling. (laughs) I I know. I need to. We will do the changeling. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, But there's a, there's a ball and I won't tell you the significance of the ball, Mm -hmm. but there's a ball. I feel like I remember the ball. Yeah. Like I'm sure I feel like the ball is probably like. I think they talked about it in Hunter Scary's movie moments. Yeah, yeah. I do think so. Like yeah. I the ball is like a well-known element, but yeah. like where he like he throws it in the river and it's yeah. supposed to symbolize like he's moving on. Mm-hmm. And then doesn't like show up at the house. Yeah, he comes home and is bouncing down the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. And like just such a great and like this is what we're talking about when mm-hmm. we say that like you do not need to go big. No. Like usually my motto is go big or go home, but like in horror movies, you don't have to go big. No. You can, but you, you can. don't need to. You don't need to. Because like all that, like that was nothing. There was no effect there. Somebody stood at the top of the stairs and rolled the ball down the stairs. Right. And it's like one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, they also burned down the entire house. So they had, they had, you know, their effects and there was a wheelchair that moves by itself. Anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> they had plenty of effects, but the ball wasn't one of them. So not only does the book come back. Mm-hmm. The book has changed, mm-hmm. which I think is brilliant because this is the moment that she realizes that her son cannot be doing this. Right. Like, there's no way that her son has added, like, extra pages to this pop-up book. Right. Like, he's a clever kid, but, like, he's not going to be able to do that. No. So if they had, if the book had just come back, just glued back together, she would have blamed the boy. Right. Right? Like, he went in the trash, he dug it out, he glued it back together. But the fact that it was expanded and, like, more specifically about her. Oh, like, completely about mm-hmm. her. It was literally her killing her dog, killing, killing her, her dog, son. Tell- and then herself. And then herself, yeah. And can we just talk about the little, like, pop-up? The, the blood? <laughs> the little pop-up book's throat slitting and then the blood, like, sliding through. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I'm like, this book is a fucking, this is a genius. I know. Like, I kind of want somebody to make the book. I'm sure somebody has made the book. Um, so it's at this point that she decides that there there is a human, mm-hmm. an adult human, who is terrorizing herself and her right. son. Mm-hmm. And she goes to the police. Or she burns the book. That's Yeah, she, she burns, burns the, book, the book, book now. And then she goes to the police. Yep. The police look at her like she's crazy. Well, because she doesn't have the book anymore. I'm like, ma'am, your evidence right. is gone. You burn right. it. Right, yes. And that is the weird thing because it's like... Do you believe in the Babadook or not? Right. Like, if it's a human doing this, why do you need to burn the book? Right? So it's almost like she's oscillating back and forth between actually believing in this thing and trying to find a rational explanation for it. Right. Which makes sense. Well, and I mean, like, I know, like, she's like, okay, I ripped this up the first time and it didn't work, so. (laughs) Now we're going to go a step further. Yep. Now we're going to burn it. And, um... I should say, too, so 
one, another aspect of her, like, having an opportunity to, like, find happiness and just, like, completely ignores it is with one of her coworkers. Oh, yeah, the um, guy. Robbie, I believe Robbie, his I name believe is. Robbie, I believe his name, yeah. Um, like, and he's cute. He's cute. He's funny. He's funny. He's very nice. He's very nice. He's clearly into her because he not only brings her flowers, but he brings her kid a right. toy, a model, like a model plane or something. Right. Like, generally, like, you know, he doesn't, that's not like we're coworkers. No, that's like, I'm. I'm interested in yeah. you. Like. He went full. Ariana, I'm so into you, I can barely breathe. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm sorry, I cannot hear her name without thinking. I don't know, I think it was a vine. I think it was a vine. I love Ariana Grande so much that I want an Ariana Venti. that because of course i know that like whole like obviously like ariana grande like it's right it's she's grande right right that is her drink size that she always gets at starbucks <laughs> even though apparently her last name is actually pronounced grand oh well that that ruins it but i don't know if that's actually a thing or if that's actually just something that she happened to say in an interview as a joke I don't know. Right? Just like trying to fuck with people. I don't know. I mean, because literally everyone refers to her in person directly as Ariana Grande. And, and she never, never corrects no. anybody except this one time. Right. So it might have been a joke. Right. Um, anyway. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> so she goes to the police. They look at her like she's crazy. She also sees like the Babadook suit at the police station. Yes. Which is interesting. Uh-huh. So... I, th- I think there is a comment there, and, and there has been, like, we talked about this a lot when we did um, Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. There's a comment there on the way that law enforcement treats women. Yeah. And how uh, difficult it is for them to be believed, and how little the law can actually do to help a woman mm-hmm. in such situations unless it gets so bad that you know somebody ends up dead right right or like you know attempted to be dead so the police are no help uh and of course social services shows up right <laughs> because she's pulled her child out of school mm-hmm. and <laughs> they're like hey hey hi you can't do that no 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 <laughs> you can't do that like you <laughs> either have to i mean i i think to I think even to to homeschool a child, you have to like go through some sort of like special registration process to like verify that you are in fact educating the child. Like it's Mm -hmm. not legal to just not have your kid in school Mm -hmm. and clearly not in Australia either because social services shows up and doesn't really like what they're seeing. (laughs) Well, (laughs) because she is hallucinating cockroaches. Yep. The house is filthy. Mm hmm. And Samuel is complaining about being sick. Samuel's complaining about being sick, and he's complaining about being sick because she's giving him the sedatives without feeding him. Right. Despite the fact that they, like, say take with food. Like, right. she's just drugging him. Yep. And not actually, like, really taking care of him that much. <laughs> Which is, you know, problematic. 
so they're like, okay, we've clearly caught you at a bad time. We're going to come back in a week. Like, this was a veiled warning, if you've ever heard one, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we're going to come back in a week and, you know, let you know what your options are. It's like, if this hasn't improved in a week, we're taking this kid out of his house. Like, that is exactly what that was. Like, your options are, like, take care of this or he's out. Um, At this point, two things have happened. First of all, she's starting to see the Babadook. Yep. And second of all, we as the audience have come to understand that the evil is actually coming from her. Yes. Or the the evil is focused on her. Right. Right? Like, it's not mm-hmm. actually about the boy at all. Right. It's about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a brilliant little shift. It's like very subtle. Where it's like, suddenly the boy seems rational in comparison to his mother. <laughs> right. Right? Like, very rat. Like, he's taking care of her. Yeah, that... That little switch of him taking care, starting to take care of her and everything, and like, mm-hmm. is first of all adorable, mm-hmm. but second of all, like, I'm like, damn, like this kid was out of control five minutes ago, mm-hmm. and now he's taking care of his mother, and he's six, six, he, right? Like, damn. Mm-hmm. So she starts to see the Babadook. She starts, she's getting more and more unhinged. She's sleeping less and less. Mm -hmm. She's having nightmares about seeing her son dead. Her dog starts to growl at her, which is like the, you know, number one sign that you're possessed is that your dog suddenly doesn't like you anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, We have the scene where like the ghost goes into her mouth, which is again, hilarious. I mean. (laughs) Um, You got to have it. That's how it happens. It's the only way for them to get in. Through your mouth. Through your mouth. And, and she is starting to, like, this is really where she starts to get, like, verbally she is, violent with him. She is unraveling. Yeah. Quickly. I mean, she tells her son, her, she tells Samuel to eat shit. She tells Samuel to eat shit. She cuts her own phone line. Yeah. With a butcher knife that she then, like, brandishes at her six-year-old son. Mm-hmm. She crashes their car. Yep. And then runs. <laughs> and then run. yeah that's it like she crashes their car into another car and then leaves the scene yep which is a crime uh-huh. i'm guessing it's a crime in australia as well she's hallucinating um like you know she's watching like a perfectly normal television show and suddenly it it changes into this absolutely gorgeous like this is my favorite oh. part of the movie like mm-hmm. this it's clear that the Babadook styling is lifted directly out of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's just beautiful. And like Jennifer Kent, especially after I watched the short film, mm-hmm. which was in black and white that I hadn't seen right before today. Um, you know, she's clearly very influenced by silent era horror. Yep. Right. And, mm-hmm. and there is this sort of, and it's, it's so beautiful and subtle because uh, when Amelia goes like full Babadook, mm-hmm. right? I can't quite figure out what the effect is, but she's almost flickering. Like she's sitting in the chair. Mm-hmm. She's sitting in the chair and I think that she's just like convulsing. Oh, uh, when she's, you're talking about when she's watching the... She's watching the TV, uh-huh. right? It's before, it's right before she kills the dog. Spoiler alert. Um, oh, yeah. 
it's right before she kills the dog and she's watching TV and she's kind of twitching. But the way that they have her twitching and the way that they shot it makes it look like the sort of jerky motions of early film. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, when like the, you know, you had sort of like the, the frame rates were too low to make it smooth mm. because people were hand cranking the, the cameras. Right. Right. right so right. that's, that's like why the, the early films have that kind of like jerky sensibility to them. Like why everybody kind of looks like they're a little shaky in addition to just like degradation of the film over mm -hmm. time. And like that sometimes it's just shaky. Right. Um, but like she looks like that mm -hmm. right before she flies completely off the handle. And it's such a cool little visual device in that moment. Like, I love that. Yeah, I have to say, like, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit more later on, but, like, the visuals in this movie overall, like, mm -hmm. I I love the, the simplicity of a lot of it, mm -hmm. but it is a beautiful horror movie. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we should mention too is that um, consistently she has a toothache. She has a toothache. So like, which she also is not addressing. Right. Right. Like, so she's exhausted. She's stressed out to the max. She's in physical pain. Mm -hmm. And she's not really doing much to alleviate any of this. So, and I know we haven't really talked about the neighbor much, but Gra there's Gracie as well, the old woman that lives next door. Mm -hmm. That kind of... Like, motherly she, and concerned. Yes. Yeah. And she's uh, and she's literally filled with love. She's like the sweetest oh, little yeah. old lady. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she's kind of there, kind of not... I mean, kind of sort of helping out Samuel too. Like she's kind of there to be a friend to mm -hmm. both of them. Mm -hmm. And... She's another one that Amelia attacks. Mm -hmm. Like, you you gradually see her get just worse and worse with her. Where, like, she'll snap. Like, Amelia will snap at her. And mm -hmm. then you'll see her just ignore her completely. Right. When at the beginning, she, like, did chores for her. Like, right. it's clear that they had a good relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and then she's just sort of... She is gradually shutting everyone out. Right. Um, as she, like, sinks deeper and deeper into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she completely loses her goddamn mind. Oh yeah. It's full. It's full loss. So of course, Amelia is still shutting everyone out and she's, she's just trying to sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is one of my, this is one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. And my favorite example of the use of audio mm -hmm. in this is she's sleeping and she wakes up and to someone that whispers, so, mm -hmm. so now, mind you, when I first watched this movie, I couldn't tell what was happening. Mm -hmm. I couldn't hear what was being said. And that's why I love it. Mm -hmm. So you hear someone whisper something. Mm -hmm. And then you hear someone muffled scream the exact same phrase. Mm -hmm. There's someone in the house. Mm -hmm. That moment was actually the one part of this movie that terrified me because of the way that it was done. Mm -hmm. Like that so and i i want to mention the audio a little bit here but we can 
go into a little bit more later, but the use of quiet dialogue and very loud, terrifying noises mm -hmm. is like at a 10, like, cr like cranked all the way up mm -hmm. for this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, but that scene specifically was like, and I think it terrified me initially because I didn't know what was, they were saying. Mm -hmm. And I, all that I heard was a scream. Right. Um, and that is that. So, and now she's continuing to get worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. She wakes up. Samuel is now thinking that she's the Babadook in a way. That he's kind of correct. Because he is right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like she's been, she's been possessed. She is possessed. One in the mouth. That's how we know. Um, and he's, he's trying to protect her at the same time as trying to protect himself. Protect himself. Yes. And this is where she like cuts the phone cord. And, right. Like, yep. This is where she cuts the phone cord. This mm -hmm. is where she like is brandishing the knife at him. I do find, I do find the scene where she's brandishing the knife at him a little bit hilarious because then she says, I'll make sure nothing gets into the house and like starts locking the doors and closing the windows. And it was like every door and window in the house was open prior to that. And I'm like, Wait. why were all of these windows open? It's nighttime. Like you have to, you had to close every window in the house. <laughs> Like, it it's such a long sequence of her, like, closing windows and locking doors. I'm right. like, how many doors do you have? <laughs> you should have been making sure that no one was coming into your house this whole time, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like generally a good idea. Right. Um, but yeah, but the, the moment that she fully snaps, mm -hmm. well, I mean, quite literally, is she kills oh. their dog. Yeah. So this movie would, I mean, probably for many reasons, but this movie would be on doesthedogdie.com. Yep. Um, dog does die. Dog does die. Just warning you. Um, which is like, was predicted by the book. Mm -hmm. That she would kill the dog first. Right. And then she has seen the vision of her dead husband saying, we can all be together. If you just bring me the boy. Can we also really quickly mention what she was just watching? Because I know that we were talking about like old school classic filmmaking. Yeah. So the cartoon that she was just watching mm -hmm. was a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, love. Oh yeah. I mean, there's which is like there's symbolism throughout. Every oh, time, on. every time the cameras on the television, mm -hmm. there is like you know symbolism throughout. Oh, absolutely. Time. I love that Jennifer Kent also made it so she like and perfectly seamlessly put the Babadook into that film from earlier. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I don't know if that part of it was like they like um, digitally altered the film or if they had like filmed a new little segment like and then like it. you know mm -hmm. cut it into oh yeah this is fun she also sees a news story uh -huh. on the television about the murder of her son by her yep and she's like what the fuck <laughs> yeah and then sees an image of herself in on the tv yeah so yeah this is the the part where like you said she ends up seeing her husband mm -hmm. and it seems very innocent initially 
um, until suddenly he, he mentions, you can bring me the boy. Right. We can be together again if you bring me the boy. And then mm-hmm. his his voice starts to distort. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's not your husband. Now. Yeah, that's not, that's not your man, girl. You will also notice during this sequence, again, not a watch along, that there is more light in the basement than there is upstairs. Yes. And like, hmm. how's that happen? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, um, so yeah. Completely goes off the deep end. Kills the dog. And decides that she's going to follow through on the rest of the book's predictions of the murder-suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but her son is ready for her. <laughs> yes. This child stabs her in the leg. Like, he's very careful not to, like... He's trying to stop the monster without hurting his mother. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, he stabs her in the leg just to distract her long enough that he can run away. Uh, hits her with a dart from his little, like, crossbow thing. And hits her in the head with one of the little, like... I, I think it's like a cricket ball. Or yeah. Something. It's a cricket think... ball or a croquet ball or something. Mm-hmm. Um, from his little catapult thing. Lures her toward the basement... And isn't that when he not like knocks her out and ties her up? Yes. So he lures her toward the, toward the basement. He has the stairs booby trapped, so she falls down the stairs. Mm-hmm. He then uh, hits her from behind with something and knocks her out. Mm-hmm. And then he ties her up. Mm-hmm. And then he's like trying to do his own little like intervention type thing where he's like, I'm not going to leave you. When she wakes up, she, he's right. like, I'm not going to leave you. You have to fight this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I don't want you to go away. I love you. I know that you can't love me. Right. Which is like, what a heartbreaking sentence. Um, because the Babadook won't let you. Right. But I love you. Like, please come back to me. Yada, yada, yada. And she manages to get her hands free from the restraints because the restraints were tried by a six-year-old. And <laughs> he did good. I mean, he, he did good, but like he can only, he right. can only tie knights... He's only so strong. He can only tie knots so tight. Like, right. Grown woman. A grown woman in the middle of a psychotic break can probably get out of them. Yeah. Um, but she manages to get her hands free and begins to strangle him. And Sam reaches down while she's strangling him and, and touches her face. Mm-hmm. And that seems to snap her out of it. Well, and I think that's something that he has done throughout the film. He's lately. done throughout the film, and mm-hmm. she doesn't really like it. Yeah. For most of the film, mm-hmm. like she doesn't like to have a ton of like affectionate contact with him. Mm-hmm. But so he does it, and and she vomits up this like black inky substance, which is you know the universal sign for the demon leaving your body. Right. And <laughs> comes out the way it came in. And you think that that's going to be the end of the movie. Right. It's right? Not. Like, in in most other, like, you know, possession-type movies, that's the end of the movie. The demon's out. We're all good now. hmm But Sam reminds her that you cannot get rid of the Babadook. hmm So what she does instead is she faces him. Right. 
Um, and again, like you mentioned earlier, he shows her the vision of her husband's death. Yes. And you see that it was in fact very gruesome. Yeah. Um, that is the bloodiest moment in the film. Yeah. By far. This mm-hmm. is a largely bloodless film. Mm-hmm. Like there's a little bit of blood when, it, when Samuel stabs her like on her nightgown, but it's not like gushing or anything. But right. like that is by far the like most visually violent moment mm-hmm. is when you see the like partial decapitation of, of the husband. Right. And she rips out her own tooth. But I mean, you know. That's still she does not, rip out her own tooth. I actually still, love that. So she I, rips out her own tooth. Uh-huh. So it's like, yes, yeah, she's dealing with the problem in the worst way possible. Yep. <laughs> like, this is this is like this moment now where like she's deciding to solve her problems with violence. Right. She's like, let me get to the root of the problem. Ah. Uh... <laughs> like, let me do this in the most painful possible way that I can. Yep. Instead of just asking for help. Right. I'll deal with it myself. I'll deal with it myself. And it will hurt more than it needs to. Mm-hmm. So she confronts the Babadook and she essentially takes the power back, right? She's like, you are nothing. If you touch my son again, I will kill you. You don't have power over me. You have no power over me. Sorry, we watched Labyrinth the other night. Um, <laughs> you have no power over me. And the Babadook retreats to the basement. Mm-hmm. And she locks him in. And she just keeps him there. Because you can't get rid of the Babadook. Because, of course, you know, outside of what the internet has made the Babadook, what he really is, right, <laughs> is an allegory for trauma. Right. Right. And you can't get rid of trauma. No. You can just cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she starts, after this episode, coping a lot better. Right? Mm-hmm. You see the light has returned to the house. The house is clean for mm-hmm. the first time in the movie. Um, it is Sam's birthday and they are going to celebrate mm-hmm. Sam's birthday. She looks a lot just fresher and like she slept and showered and eaten, mm-hmm. right? And Sam as well looks like he's like, you know, clean and well-rested and fed right? Uh, for the first time in the movie. And, you know, minus the bruises around his neck from when she The bruises him. around his neck, which are fading. It's <laughs> getting fading. a lot better, mommy. Yeah. It's like... You're comforting her. Yeah. It's like, oh boy, this kid is going to need therapy. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, social services comes back uh, and, you know, says she's found him a new school and, you know, they had some things that need to be sorted out, but it's all fine now. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they're in the garden and he's doing his little magic tricks and he's working, you know, he's showing her his little weapons that he's built and she's like encouraging his creativity and his ingenuity, right? As long as it's in a safe mm-hmm. way that he's like, you know, shooting the darts of the dartboard instead of at a person. Right. It's, it's how you do it. I mean, that's what you should do. Yeah. yeah you know, if you're going to, if you're going to play with weapons, it should be in, you know, a, a safe and you shouldn't play with them at people. America. Sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't resist. Um, Get him. You notice there's not a gun in this film. No, there's not. (laughs) 
because it's Australian. (laughs) And you don't need them. Even though. And as we learned in The Conjuring, you can't shoot a ghost. (laughs) I ain't shooting no ghosts. (laughs) Well, now we're really mixing them up. But yeah, she's like, so they're having a birthday party. She's like being more attentive. They're both much happier. And they're collecting earthworms. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, you know, he's a seven-year-old boy. Of course he collects earthworms. Um, but it turns out the earthworms are for the Babadook. So that was the one part I didn't get. Do you get it? So, okay, instead of denying it or trying to kill it, mm-hmm. she is nurturing it. You mean like why specifically it eats worms? Yeah. I think just because it's a monster. Just because. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't know. I mean, except for the fact that like maybe earthworms are, maybe the fact that like earthworms are sort of hidden and seen as kind of gross, but they're actually like really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you wanted to make the worm symbolic, I, I feel like maybe that could be it. But it could also just be because it's like, it's a monster and what do you feed a monster? Right. You know, it's just like, um, but yeah, so she is, she is nurturing it and she actually like, it comes at her and she tells Sam, he's like, can I see it? And she's like, when you're older. Right. Like, we will have these, these tough conversations, but they're not for right now. Right now you should just go be a little boy and do your magic tricks. Yeah, and- be seven. B7, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the parent and I am going to, you know, deal with this and make sure that we stay safe. Mm-hmm. It's not your job. Right. Which, like, the entire movie, he has seen it as his job. Right. To keep them safe. Mm-hmm. And now it's her being like, no, no, I'm going to keep us safe, but I'm going to do it in a different way. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to shoot the monster. I'm going to feed it. Mm-hmm. So, and she actually, it, like, actually comes at her. And right. she's like, shh, it's okay. Right. Everything's okay. It's all right. Like, she actually, like, comforts it. Mm-hmm. And it retreats back into the shadows and takes the worms. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, so not everything magically gets better. Mm-hmm. Right? The dad is still dead. Like, that trauma is still there. Right. She's still a, a single mom who's who's struggling to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. But she is just willing to face her problems now and so can cope with them better and is making a better life for herself and her son. I feel like if the, so I feel like what, this is kind of what I wanted because I am an American. And if this was an American movie, Robbie would have shown up at the end at the birthday party. The guy, the coworker Oh guy, yeah. He would have shown up at the end. With like, you know, another little present for the kid. And it would have been like implied that she like was opening herself up to being loved again as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I guess I'm like, I do wish that that he got a chance. But at the same point, like, she kind of scared him the fuck away. I mean, I wouldn't blame him. Yeah. Well, and like, he stuck his neck out for her and then he found out that she was lying. Yep. Which like would be hard to swallow. 
right? Like it would be, you know, he like he stuck his neck out for her to cover for her at work because she said the boy was sick. And then when he got there with like his gifts for the sick child, Sam was like, I'm not sick. Right. And he was like, oh. And then she starts, you know, screaming. Right. About what a horrible child he is. And like, yeah, I mean, that would probably turn you off a little. And you're like, maybe I'm going to just going to move on right out of here. Keep just keep my keep my bits out of out of this situation. <laughs> so we've touched on it a little bit, but I do I do want to talk a little bit more about the production design of, of this movie because it is oh, yeah. gorgeous. Oh, absolutely. It is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like you said, um I totally agree that parts of it are Burton-esque. Like I said that that staircase shot with mm-hmm. like the way that it's lit reminds me of like a Beetlejuice house. Mm-hmm. Um just the way that it's lit in certain scenes where it's almost like there's a spotlight. Yes. Like it almost looks like a play. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like the set of a play. And of course, and this is another classic trope, but like the the house seems to get grayer as the movie goes on. Oh, yeah. Right? Like there's there's like more color at the beginning and then there's more color at the end. But like mm-hmm. the sort of more unraveled she becomes and like... Part of that, part of like the the environment is just like it gets sort of messier and messier as she's like not able to cope with things and not able to take care of herself and her son and her house, mm-hmm. right? Um, but part of it is yeah, that just like the color being leached out. And with so and with that too, I do love that like the movie, and this is something you kind of mentioned too. Like it progressively just gets darker and darker and darker. Mm-hmm. Even when it's daylight outside. Right. Like, the daylight ceases to exist. Yes. Right? I mean, most of the major scenes in the film take place in the middle of the night because it is, after all, about the boogeyman. Right. Um, but even in daylight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do love the, the, the sudden change at the end of the film from being completely gray and and like it's borderline black and white Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it is so gray and then suddenly once she's able to finally deal with the trauma everything gets a bit brighter everything gets a bit brighter yeah like i mean even her outfit has color (laughs) i was just gonna say that like her uniform looked gray before Mm -hmm. and now it's pink Mm -hmm. you know what the boy was wearing like now he's wearing blue Instead of like black, mm-hmm. you know, um, but yeah, everything gets brighter. And of course she's also like putting up, she put up like balloons and streamers for his birthday right? for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so from 2014 to, uh, the end of 2016, if you were, you were talking about the Babadook, you were talking about all the things we've talked about thus far, right? Right. The production mm-hmm. design, the allegories for grief and trauma and depression and, mm-hmm abuse going through the stages of grief going through the stages of grief itself right Mm -hmm. like and she goes through them all Mm -hmm. more than once well she does and because like the stages aren't actually linear oh no No, no, like you pop into anger and then you're depressed and then Mm -hmm. you're bargaining and then you're back to anger right like it doesn't just go through this nice little like you're two days in this and then two days in this and then two days in this that's not how it works right right at the end of 2016, however. <laughs> so we did some research on how exactly the Babadook became 
a gay icon. Right. And and it is of the times. It, it was created at the height of Twitter. Uh, no. Tumblr. Of Tumblr. Sorry. Yes. The other T. Yes. So uh, one of the things we talked about is like just how much power Tumblr had back in the day. Yes. Like, and how quickly it lost power when they took the porn away. Yeah, it was... Uh, even even things that like there was no porn involved in this. No. Like, but it was just like I think it just lost so many users. Yeah. Cuz people are on there for more th- more than just porn. Right. But they're yeah, also but... on there for porn. Right. And so <laughs> if they if they like go elsewhere, they're going to take their content with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um hence why they went to Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. In late 2016, someone made a joke on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. The post, I believe, said something to the effect of somebody said that the Babadook wasn't openly gay and like, did you even watch the movie? Right. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Um, that post garnered over 10,000 notes, which if you're not familiar with how Tumblr worked, a note was anytime someone commented on or um, reblogged, which was the Tumblr equivalent of retweeting, mm-hmm. um, a post. So it got a lot of attention. Yes. And there were people who were like fully in on it, who were just like going all in on, on it. And like, there were people who were like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's not. <laughs> right. Like, like, no, this is about trauma. This is about, <laughs> yeah. Like you realize he's an allegory for his depression. And, and somebody else would be like, no, he is a man who loves other men. And like <laughs> trolling, clearly. Like oh, trolling yeah, the hell out of anyone. Anyone who would see that mm-hmm. and who would see the original post and think, I need to correct this person. Right. Probably shouldn't have been on Tumblr because. <laughs> but also thank you for being there because you enhanced the situation. You enhanced the situation, right? Because then people started calling this debate the Baba discourse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so around the same time a screenshot showed up uh, on Tumblr that showed the Babadook categorized as an LGBT film on Netflix. Yes. Now, no one actually knows if that was actually like a glitch in Netflix that put the Babadook in that mm-hmm. or if somebody had like doctored that photo right and put it by the time it like by the time the photo went viral like it was quote unquote fixed or it never happened right and it was just part of the joke Mm -hmm. um so this this basically like started as this sort of like deep internet joke right right at the end of 2016 toward the like end of 2016 and then i think the netflix thing happened in like the beginning of 2017 Around the time of Pride in 2017, and this is hilarious because that's the first Pride I ever went to. And I remember seeing a Babadook and being like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why is he here? Right. Um, so that is that is how it started. Mm-hmm. It was literally a joke. And then as people started trying to correct, you know, and people who didn't get the joke started commenting, people doubled down. Oh, yeah. Like, uh... What was another another favorite post of mine is the B in LGBT stands for Babadook. <laughs> well, and I love the and this post went really viral too, and I remember this I remember this circulating around, but it was the post of someone uh, photoshopping the Babadook as a drag queen, and 
uh, being on RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. And can I just, I want to read it because I have it. Sure. And I love it. And it's RuPaul saying, Babadook, your performance had us well. Babashook. And tonight on the runway, you're serving us a killer Babalook. <laughs> Congratulations, my dear. You've won this week's challenge. Yeah. Zed. So, <laughs> I think part of it is that she gave this monster a really silly name. Oh, yes. Right. Well, and I and I tried looking that up and it was purposeful. Like she she wanted it to be silly like the um like the Jabberwocky. Like right. something yeah. that a like kid a would make up. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It like it is absolutely the name of a monster that a six year old would, would make up. Yep. Right. But it also just tends to lend itself to all of these other things. Baba oh, yeah. Shook, Baba Look. Baba Donkadonk. Baba you know. Donkadonk. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I had I had forgotten. Like I said, I had forgotten about the Baba Shook thing and it was just like it was just it's such a delight. It's such a delight. Um so from there, though, people started actually taking this and being like, well, hold on, let's take a step back and look at this. Mm-hmm. Is he an appropriate queer icon? <laughs> and there are people, of course, who, who you know, argued it rather, you know, I, I personally think rather stodgily that, like, it was actually homophobic to call him a queer icon because he's the demon, the villain, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, right. But there are some pretty brilliant... Um, like in the Rolling, Shit, I should say these people's names. Hold on. Oh yes, and I will mention that um, I was looking all of this up through Vox.com. Yes, to... I read the Vox article. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the um, Rolling Stone article by E. Young. That was the byline. I don't know his first name. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, in the L.A. Times by Jessica Roy. And there are a few different angles on this. So uh, in the Rolling Stone article, it was like, the Babadook is queerness. Right. Right. Um, and like the the reaction against it represents homophobia. Right. right? Which I can see. Which totally makes sense. Right. And, right? It's this... and then at the end, mm-hmm. when like, when the Babadook, when both the child and the Babadook are accepted mm-hmm. for who they are, mm-hmm. everything gets a lot better. Right. Um, but there's also like the, the, there, there were interviews with, with gay people who said that they identified with the Babadook because like he lives in the basement or in the wardrobe or in the closet. Right. And what's funny is that like the, in the short film, it's a literal closet. Yes. That yep. she like banishes the monster to. Mm-hmm. Um, back to the closet, do you mean? Back to the closet, <laughs> yes. Um, and that he's only like half acknowledged, right? And he's not fully sort of um, brought out into the light, right? And that that's how it can feel mm-hmm. to be a queer person if you are in, you know, a. a a family that's not accepting right right? and that's what your house can feel like that Mm -hmm. sort of oppressive Mm -hmm. like need to hide and you end up being demonized right exactly Mm -hmm. um and then there are you know there's also like the jokes about the styling of the babadook and like Mm -hmm. the fact that he has like 
he's like sort of flamboyantly dressed and he does jazz hands all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is my favorite explanation. Like that alone makes you a gay icon. Um, but I also think, and I, and I do think that they mentioned this in the LA Times article, but I also think that you can also read it from the angle of not queerness itself, but queerness in media. Right. And the fact that like up until very recently, like literally since this film, mm-hmm. right? Like this still wasn't a thing when this film was like the idea of um, queer representation in media or, or queer themes in media were often subtext. Right. Right. And the LGBT community had to find the meaning in the media themselves. So the idea that they would do that with a movie like this as like, you know, as sort of tongue in cheek as it is. Right. Actually does make sense mm-hmm. because that's that's what that's what has had to happen for, you know, the entire history of cinema. You look at films like Rope. Mm-hmm. Which like clearly gay right um yep. there's a book i think it's called the celluloid closet that's about this it's about like um queer subtext in media or like you know like queerness in media mm-hmm. or in film specifically but you know one of the arguments against it is that like it's never said out loud that he's gay right and it's like well i mean there's there's lots of gay people who never say they're gay out loud right a B, the queer community has had to find icons mm-hmm. in people who either, people and characters who either were fully straight and not gay at all, like mm-hmm. Judy Garland. Right. Um, or Barbara Streisand. Yep. Um, if we're talking about like actual real people. Um, or find it in the sort of unspoken subtext mm-hmm. you know, like every disney villain ever. right literally um, every one of them all of them <laughs> which let's let's have a tie in here all right uh-huh. <laughs> villain of the movie well partial villain of the movie actually um but i digress or I mean, he's just he's just he's just unrecognized on un- untreated trauma is really what he is mm-hmm or even, I know, I think we've talked about this on here before, and it might have just been a conversation that I've had with you. I No, we did. Legend of Korra. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. I believe we did talk about that. Mm-hmm. That's another one where we're... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like... oh, yeah, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, you know, and it's it's very recent. Like, you know, if you talk about... It, it's often called, uh, you know, um, it's often called queer baiting. Yes. Right? Like, to, to have that sort of like subtext run throughout or have a character who reads as queer or a relationship between two people of the same sex that reads as romantic, but Mm -hmm. never actually acknowledge it or follow through on it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that happens all the time. I literally just read an article about Billie Eilish's latest music video about her queer baiting. Right. Yes. Yep. Which, such a good song though. <laughs> People make mistakes. I actually, I haven't, I haven't seen it. I haven't read it. Like, I know nothing about that. I saw like a headline about it, but that's right. as far as I've been able to to look into that. So I don't actually know what's going on. 
But what I love is, so for a long time, uh, Jennifer Kent didn't say anything about this. Mm-hmm. And, like, it exploded. Like, there, like, it's not, it wasn't just, it sort of went outside of the internet, right? Like, you had sort of, like, RuPaul's Drag Race, like, referencing the Babadook. Like, mm-hmm. that, what you just did was, like, fan art, but, like, then the actual show actually did do a bit with, with like, referencing the Babadook. I don't remember this and I need to see it. I love it. I think. Pretty sure. And like, literal like municipalities tweeted pictures of the Babadook with like a little rainbow flag. Oh, yeah. Right. And like, and people showed up at Pride dressed like the Babadook. Right. And or like put that's... the Babadook, the Babadook on the rainbow flag. Right. On the Pride flag. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just like, he, he was very quickly. And again, this, this also, uh, this also speaks to how quickly, mm-hmm. like, memes oh, yeah. go from like meme to just part of the zeitgeist and just like mm-hmm. what we think of now right um it was it was literally six months where it's like now but this is just what he is now he's just a gay icon mm-hmm. it's just that's what he is um but somebody finally asked jennifer kent um i think it was during the press tour for nightingale mm-hmm I think it was like raw.com or something, asked her what she thought of the Babadook being a gay icon. And she was like, of course, I love this story. Like, it's hilarious. It's so funny and it's so crazy and it happened so fast. Mm-hmm. And then she said that that it actually like goes with the character because the whole the whole like motivation of the character is to be acknowledged. Right. Right. So. Uh, she says that she thought like, ah, you bastard, you found a way to like stay relevant. Like that, that he did it, <laughs> right? which I love. Like I that's love so that. fun. Like when I read that, I was like, I love you. Like I love that that's what you took from this is right. that like the Babadook made this happen so oh, that he I could stay that. in the like cultural imaginary and not fade away. That's so great. But yeah, super fun. Love mm-hmm. the Babadook. So good. Why do you need Babashook? So good, so gay. I do also love Which is the best really. Movie. I mean, clearly. <laughs> Have you seen us? <laughs> <laughs> I I do also love in the beginning of this whole creation that the original, the original person that was on, mm-hmm. uh, Tumblr, <laughs> was like, I mean. <laughs> He created a pop-up book of himself. Just for the drama of it. <laughs> Just for the yeah, drama I mean, of it yeah. all. I mean, the <laughs> best like... part the best part is when people start giving reasons as to why they know the Duck is gay. Oh, like, yeah. that's my favorite part. It's like, they'll just, like, show the, the gif. Gif? Jif? Gif. I don't know. The gif it's... of, like, when he, like, yeah. splays out his hands. And, like, that's oh, supposed yeah. to be this really scary moment. And they're like, just hands. <laughs> <laughs> He was just getting ready to dance. Like, the man wears a top hat. Come on. <laughs> just let him ro- walk In that, that runway. <laughs> Did yeah. you see those wings? Come on. He was clearly inspired by... Oh, shit. Nuts. People wake up. This is a kink costume if I've ever seen one. Oh, God. <laughs> Under that jacket, leather. Leather. <laughs> Pure leather. <laughs> it's made of leather. <laughs> He's a leather daddy if I've ever seen one. 
<laughs> He's wearing so much makeup. <laughs> and don't kink shame. We're not here for We're this. not we're not kink shaming at uh-huh. all. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. This is just this is just who he is. You mm-hmm. do you. You do you, Babadoo. <laughs> <laughs> Babadoo boo. Join us next week when we'll be discussing midsummer because it is in fact midsummer. It is the time of the season for killing. (laughs) (laughs) Sean, we can't can't sing real songs. (laughs) We've been over this. (laughs) It's it's public domain, I'm pretty sure, at this point. No, it's not. How old do you think that song is? It's from the, what, 70s? Yeah, that's not long enough. It's like 90 years or something. It's long enough for me. Okay. (laughs) So until then, rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Spotify, um, of course, we have our Instagram, F and Frights Podcast, our Twitter, F and Frights Pod. Um, of course, you can search for us on Facebook. We mm-hmm. just search by our name, Friday Night Frights. Um, our website, we have uh, Friday F and Frights mm-hmm. Of course, if you have any thoughts, feelings, or emotions about anything that we've talked about, you're welcome to scream at us mm-hmm. at scream at F and Frights and last but not least, we have a Patreon, our Fright Club. And Katie, what is the first rule of Fright Club? The first rule of Fright Club is just go to therapy. Just go. Just do it. It's great. Let me tell you something. It really is. So I can't speak on it, and I'm going to go a full do as I say, not as I do moment, because <laughs> I have not gone to therapy, should go to therapy. <laughs> Here we are. But you know, in the entire in the entire history of horror, like how many ghosts, demons, monsters are really just allegories for unaddressed trauma? Right. Most of them. Most of them. Think of all the shit that you can keep like on the shelf in your house and not like flying across the room. Mm-hmm. If you just if you just talk to somebody. Yeah. Just go. It'd probably help. I mean, you know, you wouldn't have all that. You know, negative energy. Uh Or whatever. So, gays and ghouls, tune in next Friday night. You'll be in for a fright. But until then, sleep tight.